So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, that's right, we're not in Revelation tonight. Yeah, that was a test to see if you were going over the small group questions that I prepared. We're going over Second John tonight. Second John. Um, so even though we're not in Revelation tonight, John's Apocalypse, this is still technically part twelve of our series in the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. We're taking a break from our verse by verse exposition to focus tonight on a topic that has been coming up in the recent text that we have been reading in Revelation, and that is the issue of discernment, the need for a church, and specifically then the individuals within the church, to have what is called discernment. And plus, you know, this Friday we're leaving to a to our winter retreat, and it's at an evangelical camp, and so we need to be discerning while we're there. So I, so I figured since we've been talking about discernment issues within these specific uh, churches that John was writing to in Revelation chapter 2, and since we're going to camp, this would be a good time to just take a little bit of a break and focus in on uh, biblical discernment. So let's read our text, and then I'll mention some context for John's situation before we consider the topic tonight in light of uh, what Revelation has been revealing. So the reading of God's word beginning at verse 1 in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That ends the reading of God's holy and inspired and sufficient word. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to bless our time in it. Our Father in heaven, we need you, and we thank you for time to gather tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause it to be beneficial to our faith, that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our knowledge, that you would increase our zeal, our desire to glorify you in all things, that you would impart unto us true understanding, help us to listen well, help us to rightly understand your word so that we may glorify and honor you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is the Apostle John writing this letter. It's the same person who authors the book of Revelation. And he's writing to churches that are struggling with false doctrine, specifically in this letter to 1 John, uh, with, with false teaching that has come up in the church. It doesn't seem like this is the same kind or the exact same kind of false teaching that he's dealing with in the early chapters of Revelation. But at the same time, it's not impossible that those specific congregations that are mentioned in Revelation, it's not impossible, though, that they didn't also receive this letter as well, that they weren't the recipients of this, this letter at some point in time, too. I don't know for sure. First John isn't addressed to a specific congregation or to a specific region, but it's, it's addressed to simply saints, to, to churches that he knows. And we know he knows the seven churches that are in Revelation. So there could be some overlap here. Nevertheless, um, we don't know if it's exactly uh, to those churches or not. But uh, he's he's been building up to this point here in First John, now in chapter 4, in which the text that we just read, he's encouraging wisdom 
and discernment within the body of Christ. So he's, we, we didn't, you know, usually we go verse by verse through a book. We actually did go through verse through First John some years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Some of you weren't here for that. But in this, um, so let me give you a little recap of what's been going on. First off, in the first chapter of the book especially, John is concerned to make sure that Christians, that we all as Christians, understand the relationship of sin and holiness in the Christian life. Uh, on the one hand, John wants all believers to know that we still struggle with sin. But on the other hand, John wants to make sure that all believers strove for holiness. There was apparently some people within the churches of that early time period that believed that they were without sin. And one of the things that John says is that if you believe that you have no sin, then you make God a liar. And essentially you, you do damage to the gospel in that. And that's even a, I mean, that's a common issue that we have today. People think that they're good and that they don't, you know, that they get to heaven because they're good even. So it's a similar error, even we say. Uh, in the Christian life, when we are conformed to the image of God, uh, we have to be realistic with the fact that we still have sin and deal with sin, but that we don't condone sin. We don't indulge it, not, um, not for a long period of time without feeling guilt or grief or sorrow and you know, then the desire to repent. And that's kind of what he's really dealing with in chapter one, this striving that a Christian should have to be like the Lord Jesus and to be holy. And he was having to speak about this subject again because yeah, I mentioned there, was, there were these teachers in the congregation who were teaching that once you become a Christian, you no longer sin. Like, like you were a sinner before, but then you become a Christian and you no longer sin at that point. But that's not the, what the biblical faith says well, too. I think like Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul is struggling with sin and the desires of the flesh. And so he, he, he condemns those teachers from start to finish. And then um, he kind of elaborates on that in the upcoming chapters. And then if you think about what's going on in Revelation chapter 2, as we'll see uh, next week, uh, there's, there's someone in this next church that we're going to consider in chapter 2 in verse 18 to 29 that is teaching not, not the same error that First John is here, that once you become Christian, you don't sin, but they're teaching that you have to indulge in sin to really understand what the Christian life is like. So almost like the opposite of that but we'll deal with that when we come to it next week um secondly in this book john gives these tests that we can apply to ourselves so that we can answer the question uh, do we see a work of grace in our own hearts you know the, the issue of christian assurance you know as, as believers in christ we should have assurance that we truly are saved it's not like just this guessing game where like oh maybe i'm saved maybe i'm elect or maybe i'm not who cares that's not a christian response as believers in Christ, we should have assurance that we are saved, meaning that we should be sure that Christ's work of atonement is applied to us. And so he, he deals with these, quote, tests that he help you to think about that. Um, there's two of them. There's a doctrinal test, which is, in other words, like, what do I think about Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? And then also a moral test. Uh, in other words, like, are we obedient to God's word? Or do we, you know, in so much as we rightly understand God's word, do, I, do we desire to be obedient to it? Um, you know, do we, especially it's in the context of do we love our fellow brothers? Do we love our fellow believers? So John applies and states that those, these tests in various ways in order to help us with wisdom to be able to discern our own hearts. And then thirdly, in connection with that, John has in this letter been giving Christians tools or like systems by which we could tell the difference between true and false teachers. 
Uh, Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. Remember, he, in the gospel accounts, he teaches his disciples at that point that you can tell a teacher by its fruit. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, and a bad tree does not bear good fruit. You know, there's, it's, it's a way of um, teaching people how to be discerning, and John does it as well. And in this book, he gives several tests by which we can tell a true prophet from a false prophet, a true teacher of Christ from one who only claims to be a teacher of Christ, uh, Christ's word, but is in fact a false teacher or a false prophet. Uh, the very issue that Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira are dealing with, possibly also Sardis as well. So four, three, or possibly four of the churches that we read about in Revelation, in chapters two and three, are dealing with false teaching that is addressed by the Lord. That's what the specific churches are being negatively impacted by people who are claiming to be from the Lord and teaching things about the Lord, which are not true. So Jesus corrects them and he warns the congregations for allowing it to go on. They need discernment. And you guys, for the Christians that are alive today, us included, and for every Christian in the time span between Jesus's first and second coming, and really, truly, even before Jesus's first coming, for everyone who could be considered rightly a part of the family of God, there was, there has always been a need for discernment. One of our greatest needs is to be discerning. Uh, we live in an age where much of the church is worldly. The world is in the church, and the church is like the world. Uh, a very similar culture to what John was living in 2,000 years ago, to be honest. And the church, who's Christ's bride, we need to remember that we have a witness to the lost and perishing world. And so we need to be serious about our testimony, serious about the testimony that our lives and doctrine are giving to the world, uh, which concerns our holiness. And so just like I mentioned last week, there is a need for the whole church to watch our lives and doctrine closely. Our witness to the world as evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-exalting Christians is spread thin by the fact that our lives are so much like the world. And we have this great lack of holiness, whereas we should really be pursuing a great need for holiness. And I would argue that the reason, or that a reason, a least, that we lack the holiness that we should have, that we lack the zeal that we should have, is because false teaching runs rampant in our churches, and many of us lack the discernment to tell the difference. Uh, individually speaking, many Christian lives are too much like the world, and corporately speaking, many churches are too much like the world, with some churches even designing their services on purpose to be like the world. We've talked about that before, how a, a local church near us even has like certain Sundays where they just do series through popular movies, and they have um, popular, you know, Disney or Pixar movie characters, they're dressed up so as to, you know, attract the world. And I don't know how this is going to change, apart from there being a prayerful plea on behalf of the church for discernment. Like, how come people don't realize that's a wrong thing to do? It's because there's a lack of discernment. We need discernment, spiritual discernment, a biblical discernment that can tell the difference between what is true and healthy and good and right Bible teaching, and that which claims to be Bible teaching but is not true and healthy, not good, and is, an, is in fact destructive uh, to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints and to the Christian life. The, uh, the ability to distinguish between biblical truth and error. 
the ability, as Charles Spurgeon famously said, to be able to determine what is right from that which is almost right. Uh, that is what discernment really is. It's closely related to the concept of wisdom or the idea of wisdom. It's Sophia in the Greek, uh, Sapentia in the Latin. Uh, Richard Mueller in his Latin and Greek dictionary notes that it is a, it is a knowledge of first principles and the conclusions that can be drawn from them, particularly a knowledge of the good and true. So hopefully you see the correlation there between wisdom and discernment. If you're to have wisdom, well, then you need to be able to discern what is true. You, they're, they're so closely related. They're almost synonyms, but you can't really separate them, not if they're going to be uh, accurate at least. How can you tell something is wise and good and right if you don't know right from wrong? You can't separate a true biblical wisdom from discernment. Uh, wisdom, sapentia, comes from God, certainly. We're given the mind of Christ so that we may understand or discern the things freely given us by God. The Apostle Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians 2.12. James, the brother of the Lord, says this in James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So James isn't speaking of some magical transaction here that defies like all logic and reason, but he's pointing out simply that wisdom comes from God. True wisdom comes from God. God is perfectly wise. And wisdom is, and then discernment from that, associated with that, is a spiritual gift that God bestows upon his children who are filled with the faith that he supplies them with. Wisdom is from God. It is knowing and then acting upon what is true and right. Discernment, again, is related. It's being able to tell the difference between what is right and wrong. Johann Kepler that might be a name familiar to you guys. You know who he is? The scientist. Kepler's Law of Motion. You'll get there eventually. Um, he makes a comment about, um, the, about science, about science and discovery. And he says that the goal of science is to think God's thoughts after him. And really, that's a good definition of what discernment is as well. It's being able to distinguish what is from God and what is not. Thinking God's thoughts after him. If you're, just, you know, if you're not discerning, then you're not thinking God's thoughts after him. right? But if you are to be biblically discerning, discerning to have spiritual discernment, is to think God's thoughts after him. Now, the reason that discernment seems to be lacking in our churches can vary. It's hard to say specifically what was causing it when John was writing this letter or Revelation. But experientially today, it would seem safe to say that discernment is lacking because of the loss of Bible knowledge, the, the lack of Bible knowledge. Maybe it's not even something that has been lost by some people. It's just the lack of it. But it is a general sense in society why the United States, why Antioch, why the Christian culture in Antioch in 2022 looks the way that it does now in comparison to what it did 100 years ago is because culturally speaking, generally speaking, there is a loss of biblical knowledge. How do you get biblical knowledge? It's not a trick question. It's from the Bible. You start with God first. Ultimately, it's a gift from him, but he applies it through means. He applies it through ways in which he engages our hearts and our minds with his word. And so then, it's from availing yourself to be present and listening well when the Bible is preached, for example, on Sundays or Wednesdays. 
It's one thing to just to be present, to be here. That's a good start. But you could be here and not be paying attention at all. Your mind could be wandering, thinking about what you have to do later, thinking about, I don't know, sriracha sauce, whatever, whatever it is that your mind might be thinking about. And I'm not trying to single you out or anything about that. I'm just saying, um, I just saw it, but I just did. I, I, what I mean to say is that I know, uh, having been in, you know, working with students and ministering to students for many years now, I see kids your age who are in church on Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, for the majority. I'm, I'm not talking, there are some people who miss a lot of church and that's a whole other thing. But I'm saying even the ones who are here for the majority of the time, when they become adults, they, you know, are doing their own thing. They reject the Lord. They don't go to church anymore. They, they don't care about things of the Lord. And one of the things like, I asked is like, well, I mean, you, you were here on every Wednesday for so long. I remember um, specifically this exact conversation happening just a couple of years ago by this girl who ends up having a baby outside of marriage. Now she's married to her baby's dad now, and I think she might be going to church now, but I'm not 100% clear on that because they don't live in the area anymore anyways. But I asked like, well, what about all of the things you heard for you know three years? This is when our middle school and high school was separated. And she was like, well, I was there. She's like, I just tuned out. Like, I never paid attention. So, so you can, my point is saying that, that you can be here without actually being here, too. You have to make it one of the means by which God gives us to grow in Bible knowledge is coming and gathering to hear the word preached, but that also has to be accompanied by a Holy Spirit-driven listening well as well. And that's a spiritual battle. Because, you know, our enemy, the devil and the flesh, the world doesn't want us to listen. And so, you know, there's tons of things that could go through our minds at that time. But that's why we want to prayerfully, you know, engage that. And you have to work at it while you're hearing whoever is teaching that night teach. Because it's easy to, to not listen well. If you're missing those times, if you're not coming on Wednesdays and Sundays, well, then you're not helping your discernment, certainly. Because you at least have to be there to start. Uh, it's also through personal Bible reading. If you don't take advantage of that, that's a missed opportunity to grow in the knowledge of God's Word. It's through the study of God's Word, either by yourself, with your family, or with a group of believers. There are other ways, I'm sure, you know, maybe like reading articles and blogs and things like that, or, um, excuse me, or reading books about doctrine and theology, that would work too. But a lack of Bible knowledge is a key issue with lacking discernment. Uh, studies like the Ligonier State of Theology and others have been drawing our attention to this for over uh, the, the years. Just how little people who claim to be Christian actually believe what the Bible teaches. I didn't want to get too into it, but you could make use of your time on your own time to Google the Ligonier State of Theology and just look at what some of the things that professing Christians don't believe about, I know quote marks, don't believe about the Bible. And do believe it's almost shocking it's not almost shocking it is shocking um some of these specific non-essential i mean specific essential doctrinal matters that are just totally negated and not believed and you know if if you don't know god's word it's very difficult i would have to think it would be very difficult and possible to know the difference between truth or error being taught about god's word you have to know God's word some at first so that you can know the difference between truth or error. Hopefully that makes sense. 
We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how the saints in Berea were more noble than the ones of Thessalonica because they took what they heard and then they went back to God's word to see if what they heard lined up with what God had said in his word. You, you, you have to know what the Bible says for you to be discerning. You have to be able to or at least able and willing to ask someone to show you where to look to see if what is being taught lines up with what God says. Okay, there's, a, there's an effort that has to be put forth. That's just part of the way that God set it up. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like earning your salvation or anything like that. It's simply the, the means to growing in discernment. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Anyway, um, that's why John is so concerned to call us in this passage to spiritual discernment. You'll see it in the final sentence of verse 6, really. He says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If that's maybe John's definition of discernment, to know the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. Anyway, the point that the Holy Spirit is having John make is that he wants believers to be discerning of that which is true and to be able to distinguish it from that which is false. And so we see instruction in 1 John 4, 1 through 6 on discernment. In the passage that we read, there's really three things that John is doing in that section. First of all, he wants us to be discerning about who Christ is wants us to be discerning about who Christ is, and that's certainly applicable, right? How many different, even religions, have a claim to who Christ is? I mean, the Jesus that we, this is why I love the, like, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, or even the Westminster Confession on this topic. This is why I think confession statements and creeds are valuable and important to us, because they act like guardrails that keep us from believing things that are false. And so the Jesus that we believe is revealed in Scripture, I think the, like, for example, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, rightly says the core truths about him. But compare that to what it says, like what the Mormons say about Jesus. Or compare that to what the Muslims say about Jesus. It's, it's different, right? It's, so you have to, it's deceiving. So in the first three verses in First John 4, the specific issue that John is writing about concerns a belief that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he wasn't actually human. And John is saying, no, 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 that's wrong. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what the rest of the scriptures say. But that is a different area of discernment than we are seeing in Revelation. Here in, Re- in Revelation, it's a lack of concern with faithfulness and in, in obedience and blending and a blending in with the world, compromising with the world. Similar issues that we deal with today even. And I don't think that when we get to our retreat this weekend, the speaker will be will be denying Jesus' humanity. I hope not, at least. Uh, and so what we'll really focus on tonight with this text, or what John says in the rest of the section. So secondly, he wants us to realize that this issue of discernment is really a spiritual matter. It's not just an intellectual matter. This isn't just about being smart. This isn't just about filling your head up with Bible knowledge. Um, it's a spiritual matter to be able to distinguish between truth and error. We'll see that in verse 4 and 5. And then in verse 6, John will make it clear that the one of the tests of a true teacher of Christ is whether or not that person actually even believes the Bible themselves. How many people today profess to be teachers of Christ, yet they don't actually believe what God's word says? It's, it's a um, pandemic, a real pandemic. Uh, That's a fake one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, thirdly, uh, discernment finds its foundation in God's word, the Bible. And this is the way John puts it. And this is kind of like if you're not a Christian, this sort of circular reasoning would probably bother you. But I think that you know, if you have eyes that see what's one of the things that Jesus has been saying in Revelation at the end of every letter to church, 
he who has ears to hear, he who has eyes to see, you know, this is the message to the church, is what the Spirit says to the churches. And so John puts it like this, those who know God listen to us. <laughs> well, it's like, well, how, well, that's fine for us as Christians because, yes, we have been, we know because of the faith that we've been given that what they're saying is true. But let's be specific. Who is the us? Well, the apostles. In other words, John is saying those who are true prophets or preachers listen to the apostles' teaching. Where do we find the apostles' teaching? In the New Testament, right? The epistles and the the letters, you know, following the gospel accounts. Even some of the gospel uh, authors are apostles, John, Matthew. Um, and so it's in the word of God. Uh, those who are not true preachers of Christ's word he says they don't receive the teaching of the apostles. They do not receive their teaching. They reject the teaching of the word of God. And so in these passages, in these three points, John is giving to us as Christians texts whereby we may discern the spirits, whereby we may discern the, the teachers and their message, in other words. So let's consider, the. So like I said, we're not going to deal with that first point because it's really not applicable to us, hopefully, Lord willing. Because that'd be really bad if we go to an evangelical camp and the teacher is denying the humanity of Jesus. You just really don't see that very often today, anyways. Uh, today, what's more, it's more common in our culture today to probably deny the deity of Jesus, right? Most people just say, "Oh, Jesus wasn't a really God; he was just a good teacher," or they'll say he's a legend. That's another thing that I guess people are trying to say now. None of those are true or make sense. But in John's day, with the issue of what's called Gnosticism and Docetism, there was a rejection of his humanity. Not really a problem for us today. Probably won't have to deal with that at camp, Lord willing. But we do need to understand that discernment is a spiritual matter. Again, it's not just an intellectual matter. It's not just a matter of being smart. It's not even just a matter of knowing a whole bunch of things about the Bible. It's a spiritual matter to be able to, to determine or distinguish between truth and error when it comes to what God says. And we see that in verse 4 and 5. 1 John 4, 4 through 5 again. He says... Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Well, he's praising them here for being discerning, actually. He, the little children, the Christians that he's writing to, that's his, it's an endearing way of talking to them. He's not trying to you know, put them down. He's, he wants to say they're children of Christ or children of God. That's what he's saying. And he's praising them for being discerning. Why? It's because they're not believing about the lie about Jesus and his humanity. That's a specific issue here. It's not because they're smarter than those who believe something like that. It's because they are, quote, they are from God. And those who believe the lie about Jesus are from the world. It's a spiritual matter. To have any level of discernment when it comes to spiritual matters is because of a grace of God in your life. It's because God is greater than those that are in the world. Because he's overcome them. Another thing that we've been seeing in Revelation 2. And then since we are in him, we share in that overcoming and we're able to know spiritual truth and error. So at its fundamental base level, discernment is a spiritual matter and it begins with God working in us. The Apostle Paul talks about this reality clearly in 1 Corinthians 12. Lots of places we can go. You could flip over there if you would like. 1 Corinthians 12, I know we were here recently on a Sunday morning, but it might be good to look at it again just really briefly. 
in the context. This is beginning at verse 8. Okay, and so the, if you remember from 1 Corinthians 12, it's the chapter in which the Apostle Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts that he gives to the church. And there is a problem in Corinth with people abusing the spiritual gifts. And so one of the points that he's wanting to make at this section, well, let me, let me just read and then we'll talk about that. So verse 8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit, the utter, so through the Spirit, right? Again, spiritual gift. These are spiritual matters. The utterance of wisdom. We're talking about that a little bit already. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And that would be discernment, right? The ability to distinguish, the ability to tell right from wrong. The ability to distinguish between spirits and to another various kinds of tongues and to another the inter interpretation of tongues. So to even begin to understand the things of God, more than just a surface level of understanding them, to understand them in such a way that produces life change in you is a spiritual matter. It's because you have been given the spirit of God that you might discern what is from God and what isn't from God. And don't get caught up here about uh, the statements where he says into another this, into another that. The point that he's making in this context especially is that the church is a unified body, a unified whole, and that we all have special roles to help edify each other, to help build each other up. We all need each other. When, when you miss church, it's not just bad for you. It's bad for the others who are there because you have something that God has given to you to bless those who are there. And so he's emphasizing that aspect of it, but in a, in a very real sense, we all have some measure of these spiritual gifts, but others have them in greater capacity than others. More on that in just a moment. Um, but that's, that's also part of the encouragement as for us to gather, right? Because, you know, I'm not as discerning as so-and-so, and so it's good that I'm around them. I'm not as, as uh, hospitable as so-and-so, so it's good that I'm around them because, you know, their hospitality makes up for my lack even so it works together like that so again having biblical discernment isn't about just being smart it's not so much really about that at all it's a spiritual matter we wouldn't expect someone who isn't saved to be discerning biblically speaking though they might be and that would accuse them but we should expect someone who is saved to be discerning or to at least to be caring about being discerning, to have a passion for being discerning. If you truly know the Lord, you don't want to believe wrong things about the Lord. You want to be able to distinguish what is true and right. So dis discernment is kind of like our physical senses in a way, but like a spiritual version rather than a physical one. Um, you know, as, as the Apostle Paul mentions here in verse 10, to some it's given as a special grace gift. Uh, just like, you know, some might have better hearing than others. Some might have better seeing than others in that sense, better sight than others. I'm not making any comment there. <laughs> um, but a measure of it is essential for all of us. And it must be constantly nourished. Sinclair Ferguson says, the Christian must take care to nourish his sixth sense of spiritual discernment. And this is why the psalmist prays, teach me knowledge and good judgment, Psalm 119.66. The psalmist prays, God, teach me knowledge and good judgment. 
It's something that can be nourished. It's something that can grow. Again, we go to the Word of God for that. Discernment's a spiritual matter, and we primarily grow in it through the study of God's Word, through the means that God provides, the preaching of the Word, the reading of it, the studying of it. And then finally, that brings us to the third point, which is in verse 6, and John makes it clear at this point that discernment finds its foundation in God's Word, which is the Bible. He says uh, in verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, John's initial readers, they could hear from the apostles personally. But where would we get, and we've talked about a little bit, where would we get to hear from the apostles? Just from the Bible. These churches that say they have apostles on staff or apostles as their pastors, be careful, right? The, the apostles' teaching is authoritative. They, the biblical definition of, the, of an apostle is someone who has who seen the risen Lord and who was chosen by him for that special role. And the apostles' teaching, which John is emphasizing here, we find it only in the Bible, not in the Book of Mormon, not in the Quran, not in um, the, the prophecies of like so-called modern prophets like Ellen White or whoever uh, started the Jehovah Witnesses, it's in the Bible. The Apostle Paul gives the same line of reasoning to the saints in Galatia. You might remember it there in Galatians 1, 8 through 9, where that church is another congregation that was dealing with false teaching coming in, teaching that was wanting to put the Christians back under the Old Covenant and having them practice um, ceremonies and these things that were shadows and types that were done away with in the new covenant. But in verse one, eight and nine or chapter one and verse eight, and nine, he says, but even if we, so he means even another apparent apostle, if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before. So I say now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he's putting an authority on inspired scripture, on what you know God has said and what the you know has been revealed to the church as the inspired word from God. So again, where is the apostles' teaching? It's in the Bible. Who do the apostles learn from? From Jesus. And it is Jesus who is God, who inspired every word of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Remember what Hebrews 4.12 says about the word of God? And this also is a description that Jesus uses of himself in Revelation 1 and 2. We dealt with it specifically in the church with Pergamum last week. But this is Hebrews 4. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the, the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, there's a sense, if you caught that there, where the word of God is actually discerning us. When we speak of having discernment or growing in discernment, it's not like we're determining what is right and wrong ourselves. That's the error of the heretics, actually. That's the error of everyone who lacks discernment. <clears throat> the word, what we read in Hebrews 4.12, what we read is that it discerns us. It discerns our thoughts and our intentions. And the test for us is will our thoughts and intentions line up with what Christ says is true? which would mean we would have biblical discernment. Or are we opposed to Christ, which is the issue that much of the New Testament is addressing. And so the discernment that we see spoken about in Scripture finds its foundation in the Word of God. 
it, we're not the authority. God's word is the authority. And we look to it to determine what is right and what is wrong. It's by the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, that spiritual discernment is possible. And here's good news. We can all grow in discernment. Even more than that, we are called by God's word to grow in discernment. Believers can grow in discernment over time, and believers are called to grow in discernment over time. We are to do what Jesus instructs in John 7, 24, where he says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Right, excuse me, right judgment would be discerning over time. You learn what's right. Over time, we become more discerning. From an experience point of view, this is obvious, I think. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, there's different, in this room that I'm looking at right now, there are different lengths of time that people have professed Christ. Some of you maybe have not even professed faith in Christ, but some of us have done so for a very, a very long time as well, too. And so for those that have been Christian for a long time, a longer while, aren't you more knowledgeable about God now than you were when you first received Christ? You were, right? That's just obvious. I mean, that's almost any field of discipline that you would say the same thing about. You're more, but with Christianity, it's a spiritual matter. And you're more sensitive to your sin now than you were before. And one of the things about putting sin to death as a Christian is that when you get, when you have like that victory over that sin and this, this sin that's been plaguing you for a long time, sometimes you, by God's wisdom, it's not something that you can, that you ever get over. You struggle with it from time to time. But other times when you, you know, defeat the sin, then you, it's not like you just realized, oh, well now, I don't have any problems at all. You actually discover there's there was something else that was leading to it, and because and sin runs deep into our hearts, to our, our natures, because of the fall that we uh, shared in because of Adam, and so one of the things that happens as a Christian, as we get more discerning, we become more holy. We see sin in deeper crevices in our hearts and our mind that we didn't know exist because we've been dealing with surface level stuff for for a long time. But, you know, God is faithful. That's part of conformance to Christ. Uh, if you remember early on in the onset of the sermon tonight, I made the comment that there's a relationship between holiness and discernment. These things are related. <clears throat> Excuse me. Holiness is a spiritual matter. Discernment is a spiritual matter. And just as every true believer grows in holiness, he or she will grow in discernment as well. A big reason as to why discernment or anything else would really come after holiness is because if you're not pursuing holiness, you're not going to be guided by the Spirit in a way that sets your minds on the things above, you know, fixed on God and His Word. So you can't divorce the two, really. You're not going to be discerning if you're not holy. And if you're not pursuing holiness, well, then just throw discernment out the window. And that's what you see happening in churches, really. When churches want to justify sin, and we would say they're, lack, they're not discerning. Well, the reality is they're not being holy either. They're giving themselves over to carnal desires. And that's the really, that's the issue that we see happening in Revelation over and over in Pergamum and Smyrna and Thyatira. Or not um, Smyrna, Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira. And so, you know, this is why, you guys, I try to constantly warn you about the entertainment we take in. And this is why I try to warn you when I have opportunity in the text to be wary of the social media that you indulge in, to be wary of the friends that you associate with. This is why I repeat that going to church is a great reason to miss everything else. Holiness is at stake. 
and discernment is related to it. The more you are being influenced by the world, generally speaking, the less you will be thinking about things from a biblical perspective. The reason is because you're ingesting things of the world primarily, not the things of God. And that shouldn't be the case. You could be stuck in a pattern of sin at the moment. God won't permit a person who is his to be at peace with that sin. It's a major theme of John, 1 John, by the way. And instead, he convicts us and he grants godly sorrow and repentance for it. And the person then gets back on track of pursuing holiness in, in that area. And with increased holiness will come over time increased discernment. And lastly, we need to understand that discernment, growing in it, isn't an overnight thing. It's not like a snap and, you know, you're all of a sudden discerning. Uh, believers grow in discernment over time. <clears throat> if you're still in Hebrews 4, turn over to chapter 5. If not, no biggie. I'll just read it for you. <clears throat> After I take a sip of water, because my throat is killing me. You're dying? Be more discerning than that. It's an expression. That's just regular worldly discernment, though. That's not biblical discernment. So you're okay. <clears throat> Hebrews 5. Well, okay. That's fine. <laughs> Hebrews 5, verse 14, says this. It says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of, of discernment trained, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the author of the letter of the Hebrews says that solid food, and here he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about theology. He's talking about specific areas of theology concerning God, which the believer who is mature in the faith understands. And look how he defines mature. It's those who have had their powers of discernment trained. If you train in something, you grow in it, right? Even the word, I mean, uh, Jackie, you play softball. You train in softball, right? To get to grow and get better at it. Same, same principle, but spiritually applied to discernment through the things that we talked about earlier. Going to church, hearing sermons, reading your Bible, studying it by yourself or with family or other Christians. <clears throat> and if you stay in something, you grow in it. Even the word maturity, it speaks towards growing, right? And we say it all the time. An immature person needs to... We'll grow up. Yes, mature. And mature person needs to mature. Um, biblically speaking, or spiritually speaking, Christians spiritually grow up. We become more holy over time. It's a work of God in sanctifying us. Uh, we become more discerning over time, and we grow in discernment. The more easily we're able to distinguish between good and evil, between truth and error. And the more that we are able to distinguish between good and evil by the grace of God, the less likely we will give in to said evil, and thereby we also grow in holiness. If we see the connectedness with holiness and discernment, we all have room to grow in this regard, myself included. I'm aware of this. The churches that John wrote to in Revelation, they needed to grow in this regard. And as we go on our retreat this weekend, we hope the teachers there will be men of biblical discernment. And by the Lord's grace, we will have discernment to be able to tell if not. So let's pray and then uh, do any, answer any questions you might have. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the spiritual gift of discernment. We know that apart from your spirit working in us, we would believe every lie. We know that the world at its 
some of its most evil examples, loves to say that what is good is evil and what is evil is good. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the powers of discernment trained up in us so that we may be able to distinguish. Uh, we live in a culture and a society we know that doesn't like to distinguish, that, that likes to have a disregard for truth and likes to let everyone believe whatever they want to believe, Lord. But we pray that you would help us to be discerning so that we may know what is from you, that we might think your thoughts after you and glorify you in that. Pray for our time at the winter retreat this weekend, uh, asking that you would bless those who teach your word with fidelity to your word and that you would cause them to be discerning and you would help us to listen well, Lord, so that we would not be deceived and that you would be exalted in that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Any questions or maybe I can make, try to make more clear? What are they going to be teaching on? That's a really good question. I don't know what they're teaching on at all. I'm 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 pre prepared right now. I'm prepared by saying that I'm prepared to answer yours. Rebuttal, even not. I don't know. No, I have no idea what they're teaching on. Uh, usually, when we go to camps and retreats, sometimes they'll have like the theme of the camp. They're like the summer retreat will be called uh, uh, like, like dive D, yeah, reversal. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So things like that. But I don't know if this camp has anything like that. So they, they don't have anything like that, huh? I don't know if they have shirts. I didn't see anything about a shirt. So they didn't ask about shirt size, so I don't think we're getting shirts. Yeah. Like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven or something. My dad asked me about the shirts, but I guess. So I think in my permission slip that I put out, I said like, "What is your shirt size?" So I'm just so used to camps giving you a shirt as part of your camp cost, but it doesn't say that anywhere that I've seen. So. I don't know. It's like, we're not paying for shirts for all these people. This is the first thing we've done in two years, you guys. So praise the Lord for that, at least. So we could either pay for your shirts or we can right, pay for your chairs. Yes, we need to 